0: You may be seated. We read Ezra chapter 4 this morning. Ezra chapter 4, we're continuing to think about life beyond the rubble. It says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord. The king, the God of Israel, the king as Cyprus, the king of Persia has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Harris, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. All right, if anyone here is a fan of lawsuits or legal injunctions, this is the Sunday for you. That's just... What that all was, uh, was filing injunctions against one another. Before we dig in too deep, uh, any of you have a travel horror story? Uh, a trip that seems like it was booked by uh, John Candy and Steve Martin. Everything that could go wrong, possibly could go wrong, uh, went wrong. I remember one year we were coming back from seeing family in Michigan, and we barely got out of Michigan with the snow. We had to fly through Atlanta. Atlanta was delayed, delayed. That never happens, but uh, delayed, delayed, delayed. They couldn't find Find our pilots. We couldn't even find a seat on the floor uh, of the airport. We finally begged our way onto a flight to Jackson, Mississippi. Not that we'd ever been to Jackson, Mississippi before, but it wasn't Atlanta, which made it look good. From Jackson, Mississippi, we rented a car to get back to Alexandria, Louisiana, where we could find our luggage a couple of days later. Our luggage was still frozen, even as it landed in Louisiana and drove home. Now, you got to know that if maybe you've had a trip like that, that's just booked, and then everything just absolutely falls apart. Now, if you remember that trip, the beginning of that trip sure felt better than the end of that trip. At the beginning of that trip, it's like, oh, we're going on this trip. We're going to Hawaii. We're going here. We're going there. And you were counting down how long it was going to take till you could get to that place. Oh, it was going to be so great and it was going to be so exciting. And then just about anything that could go wrong did go wrong. And you're like, how on earth did we get here it is not ending up with the same excitement that it began and it's become a discouragement delays and difficulties There is a sense of which that is exactly what's happening to the people of God here in these middle chapters of Ezra chapter 4, 5, and 6. They have been released from captivity. They have been freed from being in Babylon. They have been told, you can go home, you can rebuild the temple, you can do fundraisers to raise money before you leave so that you can collect money so that you can do the work when you can get there. Here are the stolen objects that were taken from the temple. You can have these and you can go home and they go and they begin to break ground on the temple. In fact, they get as far as they're able to build the altar and they offer some of the first sacrifices on the temple altar that have been sacrificed in generations and it is fantastic. And then come the lawsuits and then come the squabbling. Then come people bribing officials to make them stop the thing. And then here come these letters, and the letter gets sent from one place to another and to another place. And they say, okay, stop the building. No more building. By order of the king, you are not allowed to build anymore. They had such high hopes. They had such high expectations. Everything was finally going to go the way that they wanted it to go. It had started rough, but now here it is. The sun is coming out. And then it all stops again. Now, have you ever had one of those seasons in your life? As we talk about living life beyond the rubble and say, listen, there is a comeback after hard times. There is a rebuilding of life. There is a restoration. There is a healing of the broken places. And you say, yes, there is. I believe it. It's happening. It's great. And then all of a sudden, you hit up against something that is broken and hard and disruptive And what started with such hope and what started with such joy has now turned into nothing but a collection of delays and difficulties and discouragement. I've got good news for you. I've got great news for you this morning. There is life beyond the rubble because God is not finished. In fact, I would say to you this morning that there is not only life beyond the rubble, but there is life beyond the delays and the difficulties. Because God, who is alive and well and present in your life, is not yet finished with what He wants to do in your life. Let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we think with our Word, with your Word in one hand, and our life and our circumstances in the other. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would connect those two places and that your Word would have reign and rule over our lives. Lord, I pray that you would encourage across this room where we need to be encouraged. Lord, I pray that you would direct where we need direction. Lord, I pray that you would correct in the places that need correction. We pray this in your name. Amen. So what do we do with this? Where is the hope? Where, where is God working and moving in this whole passage of Scripture? How do we deal with the delays and the difficulties? How do we unpack those things in our lives? Well, as we look in these passages of Scripture that we've been reading, and I'm going to add a couple in just a moment, I want to begin just by paying attention to the fact that the right path is way more important than great progress. The right path is way more important than great progress. Uh, Several years ago, my father-in-law was pastor of First Baptist Church, Bogalusa. Every once in a while, we'd go and visit, His family would do. And sometimes I would go up and see him in his office, and we'd sit in the office and we'd talk. And so I kind of knew the neighborhood of the church. I kind of knew the circumstances uh, a little bit. And one time I showed up, and across the street, the the lot across the street was just as clean and, and just absolutely just It was a perfect uh, open lot. Now, I remember that because there used to be this old, not great looking house on that property. And now it was such a nice, clean, open piece of property ready for who knows what next was going to happen there in the future. And so I I said to my father, I said, Bob, you know, boy, they really cleaned up that piece of property uh, across the the way there. He says, yeah, uh, they tore down the wrong house. That wasn't the house they were supposed to tear down, but they did a really good job with it. I mean, it is gone, gone. (laughs) I just can't help but think about the person who went to work that day. Came home and drove around the block and couldn't find their house. It's not funny, and if you're here today, I apologize. Uh, But the, the wrong house, it was gone. Sometimes it takes a little bit more time to get things right. Now here's the circumstance that we see here at the beginning of Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4, the people are working on the project of rebuilding the temple. They've made some progress, but just as it is in any project that you're working on, sometimes you can see, boy, there's a whole lot more to come than what we've got done. I don't know whether we're going to have the resources to get this finished. Boy, this seems really hard. I'm getting worn out. Those of you who have built a house, you know what it's like. It starts great, and then it's like, oh, I don't know whether we're ever going to get this thing finished. And so all of a sudden, here comes some of the neighbors that say, hey, we want to help. Can we partner with you in this project? Now, I got to tell you, that sounds pretty good. That sounds like the opportunity to double the resources. It sounds like the opportunity to cut in half the length of time that this project is going to happen. It seems like this is exactly what we need. This is the kind of encouragement and help that we need. And so Zerubbabel, acting on behalf of the people of God, clears his throat and says, thanks but no thanks. We're going to do this without you. Now, that seems like a tough call. That seems like a tough call to say to them. It seems like a tough call to say to the people and say, listen, we need help, but but we're going to turn this help down. Now, why is it that they would turn that help down? It is because the people who are offering to help were not committed to the one true God. And here they are, they are building the temple to whom? The one true God. And they are building this temple that's going to be a representation of the presence of the one and only God. And so the people who are going to build that need to be the people who are committed to that one true God. Now listen, the neighbor said, hey, we, we, we worship your God, and uh, we, we, we've been offering sacrifices to your God from way back. But here's the truth simultaneously, what it tells us in the book of 2 Kings is that simultaneously they continued to be creating and making and building idols and worshiping idols. And so while they said, hey, you know what? We'd love to add your God to all the other gods that we worship. We'd love to have this. This would be a great community center right here in Jerusalem that'll just gather. It'd be a great place for us all to get together. But Zerubbabel had to say, no, 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 no. This is a place for the worship of the one true God. This is a place that the people who are building this has to be committed to the one true God. And if you come in here and you partner with us while you are continuing to worship other gods, we're going to lose everything that God has returned to us from the first time that we were disobedient and unfaithful to him. Now listen, it would have been a whole lot easier to double the manpower It would have been a whole lot easier to bring in all of those resources. They could have moved along a lot more quickly. And in fact, they had to pay an additional price. Not only did they lose the help of their neighbors, but what we saw in the passage of Scripture, now their neighbors are their adversaries. And their neighbors are stirring up difficulty and stirring up all of these injunctions that stopped the progress for 20 years. Everything stopped. Now, I do need to point out that there are two things that we need to do in the life of a church and as the people of God. We need to build a church that is committed purely and 100% on the things of God and nothing else. And we need to build in terms of our structure, our programming, our leadership, our worship, our ministries, everything that we do has to be centered on the person of Jesus Christ. And that's our message. We're not a great community center. We're not a great anything else. We are the people of God trying to do the work of God for the glory of God. That's it. That's the list. And as important as that is, we also have to be the kind of place that receives and welcomes people who need to meet that God. You see, there's a distinction between the people who built the building and the people who were welcome in the building. In fact, if you take a look at Zechariah, and, and I'll read it for us because Zechariah takes a long time to find. Uh, Zechariah uh, chapter 8, beginning with verse 20, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the peoples shall yet come, even inhabitants of many cities. cities And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations will come to seek the Lord of the hosts in Jerusalem and entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue will come and take hold of the robe of the Jews, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. You see, they had to build that temple in purity and commitment and they had to get that temple right so that from that point on, that temple would be open to every person who was seeking after the things of God. So here, as a church, setting our agenda, setting our tone, setting our purpose, we've got to get that right. And we need to be exclusive in what is the purpose of our church. And then we are inclusive in terms of receiving any person who hungers for the things of God, no matter who they are or no matter where they come from. It is hard for a church to learn how to do both of those things. But I believe that's the calling of our church. That's the calling of every church to do that. But sometimes the right path... And making a right moment, a crossroads moment, is far more important than making great progress. This cost them. It slowed them down. And in fact, it stalled them for 20 years. The right path is even more important than great progress. I would also tell you, though, that real traction, real traction comes when we prioritize what matters. For 20 years the building site was silent. For 20 years, nothing happens. 20 years is a long time. Can you remember where you were August 1st, 2001? Unless you had a kid or got married that day, I bet you you don't remember where you were August 1st, 2001. 20 years. For 20 years, they would walk by that job site. For 20 years, they would walk by the site of the temple and nothing stirred and nothing moved. And then it did. Now, there's no new proclamations. There's no new laws. There's no new anything. Except God sends a prophet. And the prophet says, take a look around. In fact, I want to read from Haggai chapter 1. And if you thought Zechariah was hard to find. But Zechariah chapter 1 says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The conversation, I know we should, but it's not time. We'll, we'll do it later. We, 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 there's a whole lot of reasons why we can't do it. It's not the time to do it. Then the word of the, then the, word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house of the Lord lies in ruin? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink and you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves and no one is warm. He who earns wages so puts them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. For you have looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. For 20 years, the job site is abandoned, and everyone has excuses as to why the house isn't being rebuilt. And the prophet says, "I hear you, but you live in a pretty nice house yourself. You manage to find the materials. You manage to find this is nice paneling on these walls. Remember when everyone had paneling on their walls? I mean, this is man, nice paneling. And yet, the house of the Lord is broken." He says, you're wondering why your paycheck disappears. He says, you wonder why it seems as though your basket has a hole in it. You wonder why you seek much, bring home little, and when it gets home, I blow it away like a wind. Now there is not so much a sense that this is God's judgment or punishment, but what this says is that when our priorities are out of order, God can't bless our lives. When we have said, my stuff first, and God, we'll we'll get around to your stuff. It's on the list, God, I promise. We're gonna get to it. It's it's, it's on the list, and when when circumstances just line up, I know we need to get there. But when we have prioritized our agenda over God's agenda, it's impossible for God to bless us. God will not bless what is out of order. God will not bless what is broken. And there are some parts of our life, maybe a huge chunk of our life, that is messed up and out of order, and our priorities are me instead of the things of God. And we can't figure out why it seems as though our lives are missing the blessings of God. He cannot bless what is out of order, He will not bless. What is broken. And as long as we're pursuing our agenda and our preferences and our stuff, it's really hard for us to expect the blessings of God to pour out on us. God says, listen, you've been assigned to rebuild this temple. I, I released you from Babylon. I gave you the resources that you need. I returned to you the stolen items. You have been given this task and you quit but you managed to build yourself a nice family room. God can't bless what is broken hey, in our lives. We get real traction when the people of God flip that and say, We've got to take care of the things of God first and foremost. And then He'll be able to bless the rest of the pieces of our life. Real traction happens when we prioritize. What matters most? We try to have a discipline in our staff meetings. where on a regular basis. We stop and we say, okay, what, is the, what matters most in the life of our church right now? Oh, there's an awful lot of things that we can be doing. There's an awful lot of busyness. But I would challenge you that one of the most important questions that you can ask in life is, what matters most? And the answer is the things of God. The heart of God. Pursuing Him is what matters most. I would also tell you that the risk of obedience, the risk of obedience, and there is risk in obedience, the risk of obedience is better than the safety of excuses. The risk of obedience is better than the safety of excuses. After is preaching, That worksite came to life. Now now notice, there was no change on the injunctions. There was no change on the law. There was no change in the decrees. Everything that had kept them from building before was still in place. But prior to that time, the lists of we can'ts outweighed the lists of we will. And they had excuses left And right. Hey, they determined and said the work is too hard. The people are too mean. We're not allowed to. We have failed before. We don't have the resources. We're going to look dumb if we start and we don't finish. No one will listen to me if I suggest we start the work. Excuses after excuses after excuses. But the Spirit of God stirred them and said, It's time to build. It's time to do the work. And here's the thing. They began the work even though they had no sense that they could finish the work. They began without knowing how the story would end. You see, if we want momentum, you have to have movement. As long as you are standing still, you are going to be still standing. One of my favorite moments in the Old Testament is when Joshua is leading the people of God and they're about to take possession of the promised land and the last obstacle that stands in their way is that they have to cross the Jordan River. Now God has already parted one body of water for the people of God before and so they come and they're standing there on the banks of the Jordan River and it's flowing at flood stage. They can't get across. They know that God is able to get them across. They know that what they've been assigned to is on the other side of the river. And here's what happens. That water keeps running and running and running until the priest and the Levite got their big toe wet. It tells us that the moment that they put their foot in the water, the waters parted. It wasn't until they moved that they could get momentum. The truth of the matter is, If those Levites hadn't put their foot in the water, hadn't dipped their toe into that water, they could still be standing on the banks of that river waiting for the miracle to happen. But when we act, and when we take our first step, even when we can't see how the story's going to end, and listen, they they know that an army could have showed up at any moment to shut them down, to tear apart what they'd already been done, but they knew that they had been called to build and so they were going to begin whether they knew how it would finish or not. Now, do you remember the last letter? The last letter that we read up here that says, hey, they're building the letter and here's the list of people who are, who are doing the work and we've tried to collect the names so that you would know. It's just you know basically second grade behavior. I'm telling, and here's the people. I wrote down their names. The king looks at the letter he finds the edict of Cyrus and he determines these complainers these injunction people are being rebellious against the king because Cyrus has said they shall build and so the response of the king is they have permission to build leave them along Pay for everything that they need, and when it comes time for the sacrifices, bring them all the animals that they need. And then my favorite part and this is wrong because it's my favorite part but my favorite part is where he says, if anyone gets in their way, you are to pull a beam out of their house. Basically, when you pull that beam out, it loses its constitu- it loses its structural integrity, and the house will collapse. Man, don't mess with that. But we're going to pull a beam out of your house if you get in the way. And the person who caused the difficulty, we will impale them on that beam. And then the rubble that's left over their house is going to become a public outhouse for the entire city. (laughs) They didn't see that coming. But God says, listen, you begin. You do what you know you're supposed to be doing right now. I will will handle the rest. i got to tell you, there's a lot of things that you and I don't know how they're going to finish. There's a lot of things that you and I can't see the end of. But you and I are called to hit the beginning. And we're supposed to start. And we're supposed to put our foot in that water. And we're supposed to move. Even when we don't know how the story's going to end. Because the risk of obedience is better than the safety of a whole list of excuses that protect us from being obligated and responsible for what God has called us to do. It's somebody else's fault. My circumstances, I'll do it later. I don't have the time. I would have, but, oh, we build a safety in excuses. And God says, move. I'll move the mountains. I'll move whatever it needs to take. But you must move in a risk of obedience. It tells us here in Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6 and verse 13 it says, Then according to the word sent by Darius the king, the governor of the province beyond the rivers, and their associates did all diligence that Darius the king ordered, and the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prosperity prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building by the decree of the God of Israel and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth month of the reign of Darius. It took a generation or more but it happened. There was life beyond the rubble because God wasn't finished. So what does this mean to you? Well, let me just mention a couple of things this morning. I would mention to you, I would encourage you in this week to honestly and humbly ask God to show you a place in your life that your priorities are out of order i got to tell you, that's a hard thing to ask. The reality is that right now in this moment, if I were to say to you, is there any place in your life that your priorities are out of order? Uh, nah, I feel like I'm pretty good. I came to church this morning. I feel I'm pretty good. It's probably in a blind spot. But if you will humbly in this week say, God, if there's some place where I've been busy paneling my house, While your house and your priorities and your agenda has been allowed to lay in ruins, would you show me and I will rearrange that priority in my life. Secondly, I want you to find a piece of paper and I want you to write down one or two excuses that you've been safely hiding behind. That's keeping you from being obedient to what God has called you to do. you got a list. I can't do this because such and such is standing in my way. This is going to happen if I do this. Man. We just need some excuse busting. Say I don't know how God's going to work this out. I don't know how this is going to finish. But I know I'm supposed to start this. And I need to tear down any excuses or standing in the way between what I'm supposed to do next. Whether it's a spiritual discipline of spending time in the Word or praying. Whether it's a ministry call on your life. Whether you're supposed to get involved in some area of ministry. I don't know. But no excuses. And then finally, I want you to reach back. It may not be 20 years, but there's something that God put on your heart some time ago that you were supposed to take care of, and it's been derailed. It's been been delayed. It's been discouraged. In fact, you've put it at the back of your closet, and you haven't even thought about it in some time. My challenge to you is to dig back into that closet and find that thing that God called you to that you set aside. And for whatever the reasons are, that it got dislodged. And I want you to pull that back out and say, God, what do you want me to do with this today? Because there are some things that God has been wanting to do in your life that have been on hold because you set them aside because you didn't think it was possible, or life happened around you, or whatever it was. Man, there's, there's at least one thing that you got to bring back out of that closet. And the God says, no, no, I, I still mean this. I haven't forgotten about this. You may have forgotten, but I didn't forget. And this is still true in your life. So ask God about those priorities. Man, blow up at least one excuse this week and reach back and pick something up that you put down that you weren't supposed to put down but it's time for you to pick back up again let me pray for you